Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, episode number 72. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Being boss in work and life is being in it. It's being who we are, doing the work, breaking some rules, and even though we each have to do it on our own, being boss is knowing we're in it together. Today, we are chatting with writer and podcaster Nicole Antoinette about finding your voice, showing up as you are, and really the importance of sharing your stories. I want to take a second to give a shout out to our sponsor, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. FreshBooks is an easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help creative entrepreneurs get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. One of the things I run into are side hustling creatives or creatives that haven't quite quit their day job but are still freelancing on the side and making money feel like they aren't legit enough to have something like FreshBooks yet. But you guys, even if you have one client or a hundred clients or a thousand clients, FreshBooks makes it easy at any size. So try FreshBooks for free today. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. You can try FreshBooks for 30 days for free on us. Now, I first heard about Nicole through our mutual friend, Sarah Von Bargen, and I have been binging on her podcasts and her newsletters ever since. And Nicole, we are so excited to have you on Being Boss. Thank you for joining us. I am so excited too. Thank you guys. So let's just jump in. Well, okay, actually, I do have a icebreaker. I was listening to your podcast and you had an icebreaker with a guest and I was like, oh, we should do that here. So here's my icebreaker question. If you could choose a different name for yourself, what would your name be? Like a different first name, you mean? Yeah. Well, when I was in college, I had, (laughs) this is like a flashback, this kind of alter ego persona that I named Kiki. I don't think I've ever told this story before. Um, That that was kind of the alter ego that I would call on when I needed to do hard things. Like Kiki was this like complete and total badass that could just do anything. So anytime I was in a situation that it felt really hard and scary to do public speaking or, you know, give a talk or do anything like that, um, I would say, it's fine, Nicole, because you don't have to do it like you're off duty Kiki's in charge she's gonna do it so I don't know if that's what I would pick for my actual real name but that's the first thing that came to my mind I love it (laughs) good Kiki I feel like I feel like that's like the best stripper name ever I know (laughs) hey isn't there something like on sex in the city about a Kiki I do I do not know so there is a thing like in the um I don't even know what community, I guess you could say the LGBT community, but it's known as a, a Kiki is like a, a little like get together. It's a little party that you have. There's a song called um, Let's Have a Kiki. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking about. one Let's of my favorite songs ever. So love that name. That's so funny. I The other thing about like different names or different identities. Um, so this summer, I'm going to be going on a four-week solo backpacking trip, which is the first time that I've ever done anything even remotely Whoa. like that. And I've been binging on basically as many blogs and books and memoirs from people who have done, you know, really long distance hikes, whether it's the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, the Appalachian Trail, all these things. And um, one of the common parts of the culture is that when you're out on the trail, your kind of fellow people that you meet wind up giving you a trail name. So it's like usually some kind of silly nickname or something that has to do with that. So I've been thinking 
thinking about that a lot too, just not just the nickname aspect, but the idea of like having almost like becoming a, not a different identity, but sort of like you're bringing out this other part of yourself. So I don't know what my trail name will be, but I've been thinking about that as well. I love that. Okay. So aside from wild, which if, if you guys have not read wild yet, it's a pretty good one. Um, what other books are you reading on this? Yeah, I this is probably terrible to say. I actually didn't love Wild. I love her and Tiny Beautiful Things is probably one of, if not my favorite book, but I didn't super love Wild. I did love, if we're talking about the trail stuff, a book by a woman named Carrot Quinn. I actually think that is her trail name. Um, it's called Through Hiking Will Break Your Heart. It's such a wonderful book. This was actually the the book that tipped me into, okay, like I'm going to do this for real. I'm going to take this trip. And I read her book. The strongest kind of recommendation I can ever give a book is I usually read everything on my Kindle first, either from the library or that I bought on Amazon. And I only own, I mean, probably fewer than 10 books. And as soon as I finished reading it on Kindle, I ordered, I was like, I need to have this book that I can hold in my hands. And so it's one of the couple of books that I have a hard copy of. And I loved it. All right. I'm going to read this. I'm obsessed with hiking and being on trails. It's one of my favorite things. I don't get nearly enough of it, though. And that brings me to like, okay, well, we need to talk about this four-week hike. But first, I want to ask a little bit about your journey, if you will. We'll we'll use hiking as a metaphor through this whole podcast. (laughs) Um, But I would love to hear about your creative journey because I was reading your about page. And again, like I don't, I'm so excited to get to know you a little bit better on this podcast. Like I legit feel like we're having a coffee date here. Um, I want to know a little bit more about your creative journey. Like I know that you um, grew up in lots of different cities and that you got a degree in food, right? In New York? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about your journey and like how that led you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, I Yeah, I was a food studies major at NYU, which is kind of this small program that I don't know if they even have it at any other schools, but it's, which it, this really has nothing to do with anything that I'm doing right now. So I guess we don't have to dig into that too much um, other than that I love food and cooking. So it's more of kind of a passion thing, but creative journey kind of leading to where I am now. Um, Actually, interestingly, this conversation would have been completely different about seven months ago. I'm kind of in an interesting transitional pivot place creatively, which obviously we can talk about. But if I go back and start at what feels like the beginning, I started blogging in July of 2007, which is like a million years ago in internet time, right? (laughs) Um, and it and was, was this like on Live Journal. What platform were you on? In I know, right? Well, <laughs> no. In, in college, I did have a Zanga, which was like Live Journal's kind of like weak cousin. <laughs> but no, it was it was just a free like you know WordPress.com blog, and it was just a personal blog. Um, I you know was wanted an outlet for telling honest stories, and I didn't feel like I had a lot of in person relationships where we were having conversations about hard things or just like true conversations. So I started this personal blog as a way to share honest stories and just made the commitment to myself that I'm going to tell the truth about my life. That was really my kind of through line for all of all of the writing that I was doing. And that certainly I had no idea that it was going to morph into anything other than just like a little side thing. There was no, this is going to be a business, you know, anything like that. Um, you know, so I just for years really chronicled my life, wound up meeting a lot of wonderful friends, you know, other bloggers. It really became a big part of my social life. And at that time, I was living a really different lifestyle. Um, that's back when I was drinking and I had this like very intense kind of 
party lifestyle. And the blog definitely reflected that. And in 2011, I went through a series of pretty big personal changes. I quit drinking, which was really a huge deal. And I did it very publicly. Like I was, you know, blogging about it the whole time. And anyone who had been in my space, you know, for the years previous to that knew that this was a really big deal. And so, you know, I was kind of talking about the emotional side of that. And I started running at the same time. I quit drinking and started running on the same day, which could be a whole other podcast, I guess. But <laughs> it, uh, I had never been athletic. I mean, I could barely run two minutes when I first started. And, you know, it was really kind of the way out of the drinking hole for me. And I was very, like, again, like very public and honest about that whole kind of transition process. And I think there was just something that sparked for other people that it's not like I had been an athlete since I was 12 and, you know, was this kind of fitness inspiration. Like, not that those aren't real people, but it was a very kind of real girl makes change type of situation. And, um, you know, then wound up making some other changes, transitioning to a plant-based diet over a series of years, really just a bunch of things. My entire lifestyle changed. And through that, I personally became really obsessed with the process of change, the questions of how do we close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do? Um, Why are some people seemingly more able to change than others? Why is someone able to successfully make one change, but then struggles a lot with a different change? And, you know, really kind of just boiling down to this idea of, okay, like in real life, how do we change our lives? Like that was personally, like definitely an obsession for me. And that started to leak out a lot through the writing that I was doing. And I found about maybe about a year, year and a half after I first quit drinking, that as I was exploring these questions myself, I was simultaneously getting inquiries from people who were interested in making changes of their own. And there was something about what I had done that I think felt more real or more approachable. Um, you know, I'd, so I get these emails, what have you learned about change? Can you help me? I, I want to do X thing, but I don't know how. And I started to think, okay, there's something here. You know, if you get a one-off question, it's just a one-off question. But then when you start getting kind of a ton of questions about the same thing, it's for me a little bit of a flag of, oh, interesting. Like maybe this could be something. Um, And so that's when I first started thinking of creating any kind of business or really drawing any kind of lines around what I was doing, because up until then it had just, you know, I had a job. It was kind of just like a side thing. And the first program that I created was called the No BS Run Club, and it was basically to help people like me who were actual, actual beginners to kind of get off the couch and start running. And I, you know, I partnered up with a running coach and it was this kind of really fun program that I just, anyone who was interested in making the same changes, you know, so that was really the first thing that I did as a business. And it was about running, but it was really more about that change-making process on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, on the group calls, we wound up talking less about the logistics of running and training and more about the emotional side of things, motivation, fear of what other people will think if you start to make changes, um, how to keep going when it feels hard, like all of that kind of stuff that was running was essentially like the arena in which we talked about it, but the conversations were actually a lot more rich than that. And that is what interested me the most. And it led me to quitting my job and starting a goal setting and accountability coaching practice practice to help people really approach change in what I felt was a sane and realistic way that acknowledged that we're not robots and like things go wrong and kind of just like the hilarious, absurd and often like very tough and unpredictable experience of being human. And so I did that for about three, three and a half years, worked with tons of wonderful people. And the thing that really got under my skin and lit me up the most during those years and that work wasn't necessarily the 
goals and the changes that were being made, but the conversations we were having. Coaching sessions, I don't know, they quickly became less about accountability for specific action steps and more of a dialogue about deeper and more uncomfortable stuff like pain and, you know, fear and disappointment. What happens when you set a goal and don't achieve it? You know, shame, how our identity is linked into, you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis, you know, what it means that people like this photo on Instagram more than this photo, you know, just that kind of stuff. And I felt really in flow having these types of conversations where it was just two people or even a small group of people sharing what's true for them at any given moment. No one's the teacher or the preacher. No one's perfect. It's just, let's talk about stuff. And, you know, kind of the comfort that comes from that me too moment where someone shares something and you're like, oh my God, me too, right? I'm not alone. And that was really the common denominator when I was looking at my own life. Like all I want is to not feel alone, right? To not feel like I'm this like special snowflake that I'm the only one that ever experiences this or that's ever scared of that thing. And, you know, so that's a lot of what came out of that. And and I remember thinking that, you know, after hanging up the phone with one particular coaching session, I was like, this, this is the world that I want to live in. I want to live in a world that's powered just by honest human conversations. And saying that now, that sounds really simple, but for whatever reason, that was really powerful for me. And that question, kind of asking yourself, what world do you want to live in? I have found to be incredibly powerful because it made me wonder what I was waiting for. Like, if that's the world that I want to live in, then it's up to me to do what I can do to build that. And I, so I wound up actually wrapping up my business towards the end of last year, took a sabbatical, did some deep thinking, and started the Real Talk Radio podcast. And the whole idea behind the show was kind of exactly that, just honest, long-form conversations about the kind of wonderful, crazy mess of being human. So as far as the creative journey goes, I'm really in the early stages of the podcast right now, really no idea of what the future looks like, you know, with the show, but it feels really good to be creating kind of a body of work and a community of people who are committed to this idea of basically like a real talk revolution. Like we're not perfect. Life is hard and fantastic. And, you know, we're not alone. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, like I said, an interesting time to be having this conversation because I don't really know what's next, but it feels good to be in the baby stages of it. Uh, amen to all of that. I have so many questions. I feel like I could probably talk to you for like, I mean, maybe I should just join you on the trail and we could talk for four weeks <laughs> about all of this stuff. Um, okay. So I have a few questions. I'm not sure which one to go with first. So I'll just go with this one. I know that you've been in a lot of different places and the idea that you're obsessed with change and honest conversation. Um, I know that you recently, did you recently move from the city to Bend, Oregon, or when did that happen? Yeah, my husband and I moved up to Bend uh, the very end of October 2014, so about a year and a half ago. Okay, and where did you move from? From Los Angeles. Okay, so I've lived in Oklahoma City my whole life. And I've recently become obsessed with the idea of moving. And that's got me thinking, and especially thinking, hearing you talk about change, how, how does a sense of place change who we are and what doesn't it change? So I'd be so curious to hear you talk about that move a little bit and maybe how it's facilitated change for you or maybe, you know, what hasn't changed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, not that this is unique to just me. I'm not the only one that has experienced this. But since I've moved so much, you know, I can't really speak to what it would be like 
to have lived in the same city almost my whole life, to have all my friends and family in the same place and then decide to move. Like, obviously, I think that that comes with its own set of, you know, challenges or positives and negatives. That was never my story. This house that we're living in now is the 21st house or apartment I've lived in in my life. And I'm only 30. So, I mean, I've moved a ton, both with my family when I was a child and as an adult as well. So the change as far as like actually physical geographical change has been a really constant part of my story. So, you know, and it's interesting now having made a move, not that anything's permanent, but the idea behind this move was a lot more permanence. So I'm actually finding that the change and the uprooting and moving to a new place, like that was a very safe feeling for me, a very safe space, especially during more self-destructive periods of my life. A lot of that corresponding with drinking when it would just be, oh, I've kind of burnt my life to the ground. Okay, I'll just like pick up and move somewhere else. Like it was very much an escapism tactic for me. So this time around, having made this decision to move here really intentionally, having made this decision with a partner as opposed to on my own, which was pretty much all of my other moving scenarios it's actually been really uncomfortable to try to put down roots so that's definitely something that I'm still navigating this idea of I mean we live in a house we bought a house I've only lived in basically tiny apartments in big cities my whole life so there's that change um obviously Bend is really small compared to I grew up in Manhattan and in London you know and then have lived in San Francisco and LA and so living in a smaller city where just the culture is really very different. And there's been more kind of culture shock than I expected. But yeah, it's it's really brought up for me this question of what makes a home. And I think for some people, it's, you know, being rooted in the place that they grew up, where their families are, that kind of thing. But all my friends and family are pretty much spread out, you know, all over the country and or all over the world. And so this idea of, you know, being 30 and wanting to feel a sense of home and some put down some kind of roots for the very first time and not having had any childhood roadmap of how to do that has been really interesting. I have no wisdom at all to share, but it's been it's been tough. It's been tougher than I thought it was going to be. Wow. I find that I find that so interesting in so many ways. And let me I, let me like back up like as someone who I have lived in probably six different places in the past 15 years or so. So like lived in the same house pretty much my entire like childhood. And then the moment I turned 18, like just moving every couple of years and we just did the same thing. So seven, eight months ago, we bought a house. And so for the first time in a really, really long time, like intentionally setting down roots somewhere, because same thing, like not even moving from house to house, moving from like state to state. So I totally get that. But I also want to touch on what Kathleen was talking about there with this idea of sense of place, Um, because as someone who has like education and geography, like that's, that's so ingrained in me and is something that like I look at in terms of what I've experienced from being in all of these different places over the past couple of years. And especially as I've like culminated this eye for like what a place is. Um, And and I think I I look forward, I, I want to talk to you about this again in like a year and sort of hear what it is that you have to say after sort of stopping and being in this place for so long and see sort of what comes up for you um, in terms of how a place can mold you. Um, because living in, especially moving from big cities like that and then settling into somewhere that's a, a little more rural, though Bend, Oregon isn't really like the middle of nowhere too bad. Um, because... 
a place can can absolutely mold you in ways that that I think few people really expect. Whenever we moved, we intentionally moved to a place, like we chose a place that we wanted to live um, because of where it was in terms of um, like climate and where it was in terms of proximity to water and the sort of foliage that would be surrounding us. And by all those things, like the people that are shaped by all those things, being around those things as well. Um, so I don't, you do have a really awesome perspective, I think, of what it's like to, to sort of move around and be in all these different places and experience all these different places. But I also wonder what you're going to feel once you give yourself some time to experience a place fully. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, lo- I love your perspective. I love everything you just shared. And this this is the first time that I've ever moved somewhere for the place. Other mm-hmm. moves have been for school or for work or, you know, because of someone else or that type of thing. So, I mean, we... I had never been to Bend before we came here to buy our house. We didn't know, we didn't have any friends and family here that we really wanted a different lifestyle than what we had in Los Angeles. And our number one thing was really easy access to nature and just kind of like a quieter pace of life. And obviously that could have been a bunch of different places. It wound up being Bend for any number of reasons. But so for all of that, like those boxes are totally ticked. Like as far as the place goes, I really love it. And I feel like it's definitely was the right choice, at least for right now. The things that have been harder are more of the community aspect of things, especially, you know, my husband and I both work from home. So I think it's different if you move to a place and you have an office to go into and you meet people that way. It's kind of this idea, which sounds kind of funny to say, but like, how do you make friends as an adult? Which is kind of, which that's what's come up for me of this question of I realize so many of the friends that I've made have been through situational convenience. You know, you're in school together or you're in this place. And so it's more that, it's more the community aspect of it that I'm finding challenging. But I mean, everything that I've heard, it takes, you know, one to three years minimum for a place to feel like home in that regard. So I feel like I have a lot of patience with it because this isn't a short-term decision because we know that we do want to stay here. You know, it's it's going to take as long as it takes. And to be honest, I could try a little harder, you know, to not be such a homebody. But the place itself, yeah, is is wonderful. Well, I grew, I've grown up, I've been in the same place my whole life. So <laughs> I'm craving and I'm in Oklahoma City, which is not a place that people go for a destination very often, but we do have a solid sense of community here. And there's um, a lot of creatives here who are kind of making something out of nothing, if you will. But I'm ready to live in a place where that that community is nurtured and fostered and celebrated even. So um, I've got my eyes on Seattle right now. I definitely think that Pacific Northwest, I'm, I'm curious about living in a city, but with access to nature. Um, so anyway, it's just something that I will continue to obsess over. And I'm interested um, on your perspective of change and how a sense of place might change me as well. Um, okay, so I have kind of a logistical question. I'm really curious about it. So I bet some of our listeners will be curious about it. You started your own business doing coaching and that was probably quite a leap. And then coming out of that and starting a business doing podcasting um, and you don't have to answer this and we can even edit it out if it makes you uncomfortable. But I'm curious, like, how do you make money doing that? Oh, no, I'm totally comfortable talking about okay, this. Cool. I'm, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find something that I'm not comfortable talking about. Um, awesome. So yeah, so that's an interesting question and kind of what I meant about being in a period of transition. So um 
starting the business the first time, it actually didn't feel that hard and didn't feel like a leap because it was so organic. Like I never sat down one day and said, okay, I want to start a business. What am I good at? What do I want to do? Like, because it grew out of the blog so organically, it was actually a pretty smooth transition. You know, people were asking for this and I created the running program and it did really well. And so it was kind of just like one thing into another thing. So that element of it was great. And you know, especially coupled with the fact that I've never had a quote normal job. Like I've never gone into an office and worked nine to five ever. I've always had kind of these like strange, either self-employment type of situations or seasonal jobs. I I was the director of a children's summer day camp for five years. So that was, you know, super intense during the summer and then not so much the rest of the year. So even, there wasn't as big of a transition as I think there might be for someone who has years or even decades of maybe a more structured or traditional experience to then work for themselves. Um, so in that regard, you know, it, it, the transition I think maybe wasn't as dramatic as it might sound. But when it was, you know, when I decided that I wanted to wrap up the business, and there were a couple of different reasons, but you know, we can get into this. But one of the one of the driving forces for me to stop coaching was, and, and, you know, I, I loved it and I worked with great people, but I feel that my strongest work comes from honestly sharing my own stories, kind of what's going on in my real life in real time. And that's often very messy. Like I've talked very publicly about alcohol. I've talked very publicly about struggles with depression. And I think that that's kind of what my most powerful impact can be. And I was starting to find a little bit through coaching that I was censoring myself a little bit um, in ways that I think we're actually quite smart because, you know, we say that we want, and I'm just using coaching as an example, but it's the same thing with someone, you know, who's a writer or a designer or anything. You know, we say that we want people to be real and I think we do, but only to a point. Like if I'm hiring someone to do a service for me, whatever that is, I don't want to know that their life is falling apart, essentially. Whether that's wrong or not, I don't know, but that's just the most honest thing I can say. And I had one instance in particular when I was coaching that, you know, my depression had just flared up and I was really struggling a lot and I was about to write something about it. Um, I was still blogging at that time. I'm not anymore, but I was about to write something about it that day. And I, but I had a coaching call scheduled with a, you know, a long-term client that afternoon at 3 PM. And I thought, you know what, if I were a client of someone that happened to read that this person was having a really hard time and then I was getting on the phone with them, like that would make me feel weird as a client. And so I didn't publish that post, which when in kind of that service focus thing, I think was the right choice. But that was really the first time that I was like, okay, Nicole, you say that your work and your strongest thing is to share the truth of your own life. And now your business is getting in the way of that. And that was really kind of a point of reevaluation for me. So that's just one example, but it happened a couple of times to the point where I was like, yeah, I think it's time for me to wrap this up and, and move a little bit in a different direction. Obviously, to your point about money, there was a, I had a lot of fear because the type of work that I want to create, I didn't see the direct money link, right? Like it's different when you're creating programs or products or having clients, like that's a very clear exchange of product or service for money. And the type of stuff that I wanted to do, even the podcast, you know, the type of writing that I really love, there isn't that clear link. And, um, that's one of the reasons that I took a sabbatical. And you know, even at that time, I wrote pretty publicly about, you know, the reason that I'm able to do this is because, I mean, with all of my magic privilege beans, as Javi Brooks, one of my favorite bloggers says, like, I have plenty of magic privilege beans. My partner 
makes enough money that it's fine if I don't make money for some months. And I know that's not everyone's position, but I wanted to be really upfront about that when I was taking the sabbatical because I didn't want anyone to look at my situation and say, you know, what magic secret does she have that I don't have? You know, it wasn't a secret, you know, and so I decided to take basically to take some time off from making money and decide what's next. And even now in this current iteration that I'm starting to build the type of work that I want to do, it hasn't morphed into something that does more than a little better than break even at this point. And I'm in kind of an interesting, I don't know, conundrum isn't the right word, but I'm kind of at a fork in the road of deciding, do I want it to? Like, do I want this to be a hobby and just kind of a side project you know, making art, let's say, for lack of a better word, that I'm not going to make into a business. And that's a totally fine choice. Like, I think that, I don't know, I have a lot of feelings about kind of entrepreneurship and there's so much greatness there. But I also think that we glorify it a little bit too much. That Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, if you work a nine to five, like that's the wrong choice or, you know, every side project has to be monetized. And I got really sucked into that to the point where I couldn't even let myself do anything for fun because anytime I had like, oh, this is a hobby. I enjoy this. Okay, well, how could I turn that into something that could make money? And I was honestly miserable. And so for me, I don't really know like what's going to happen right now. Again, like we are in the situation where I don't have to be pulling in a lot of money, which is great. And I know that that's not everyone's story. And I know this won't be my situation forever, but I haven't yet decided if I'm going to try to grow this into something that's more than kind of a break-even, self-sustaining situation or not. And that might mean getting a job. It might mean doing something else part-time. I don't really know. I'm lucky that I have the space to kind of figure that out. But yeah, that's another thing. I certainly wouldn't want anyone to look at what I'm doing and think there's some magical way, you know, that I'm making $100,000 from doing this and I'm certainly not. So thanks for sharing that. I think that, um, I, I think it's really interesting that you censored yourself in your coaching practice. Um, and again, I'm with you on feeling like maybe that was the right choice. And I'm curious how, I'm, I'm curious if a lot of creatives feel like there is a sort of censorship that comes into place whenever money is being exchanged. So for example, I've been listening to your podcast and I know that you have a different sponsor each season. So I'm curious if even having sponsors ever makes you feel like censoring yourself at all. Uh, censorship, no. So, and I mean, like I said, the podcast is in kind of the baby seasons. The first couple seasons, I didn't have a sponsor. The third and fourth seasons, I did. And that was a very easy decision to make because they're basically products and services that I actually use and love for real in my everyday life, right? So season four, the season that um, came out on April 1st, I partnered with this company called Picky Bars. They're these like totally delicious real food energy bars that are, the company's based here in Bend. And I'm friends with the owners of the company. Like it's something that I feel not only it's not that I feel neutral about promoting it. Like, I'm totally stoked. Like, I love them. I eat these things basically every day, and I want them to do really well. The issue that has come up since then is that was, you know, such a fun, natural, organic, successful partnership for me. And I'm about to, at the time of this recording, head into recording season five. And I realized, huh, there really aren't any other brands, maybe one or two, that I feel that way about. And for me, and that kind of called into question, okay, what are you trying to do here? Because of course, sponsorship ads, like it pays the bills, right? But it really made me kind of go back to, okay, Nicole, what's your vision here? Because my, like if I go back to originally, like my vision was to have these really honest conversations that weren't 
directed by any kind of agenda, you know, which as soon as someone else is paying for something, that does potentially get in the way. And, you know, I had to clarify that my vision for this is really to have a self-supporting community, this like eclectic group of people who also want to live in a world where we have more honest conversations and where we all feel less alone. And in order to do that, I actually don't know that sponsorship going forward is going to be the right fit for me just because there aren't that many companies that I like want to stand on my soapbox for because I don't feel personally like within the vein of what I'm doing great about promoting something that I don't use on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, you know, I something that I started experimenting with a couple months ago was Patreon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Um, So basically for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically a way for creatives of any kind to have their community sort of fund what they're doing. So you set up essentially like a pledge system. So, you know, someone can say, I'll pledge, you know, two dollars for every podcast episode or every season release or that kind of thing. And, you know, you can set up different reward systems. So the way that I've set it up, because my podcast releases on a seasonal basis, so in a full eight episode season every other month. So there's different. So basically people who pledge $8 or more for the season, they get bonus content during the in-between months. So they're extra interviews, just like other audio content that I'm creating that's not getting shared publicly. So I'm kind of starting to pivot into thinking that that really might be the way to go for me to make this like a community of people that really self-support these types of conversations. And so there's some ideas that I'm toying with of essentially like higher level rewards, for lack of a better word, to use for people. But I don't know. So yeah, I mean, you, you definitely raised an interesting question. For whatever reason, it doesn't feel super great to me, the sponsorship model, unless it was a company, you know, like Picky Bars that I am really aligned with. But again, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, I, I pay someone to do my audio editing and he's fantastic and that type of stuff. It's, you know, the money doesn't grow on trees. So it needs to at least be a self-supporting endeavor. You know, I don't want this to be a really expensive hobby, the podcast. Um, so yeah, I at least want to get it to the point where whatever path I choose to do, that it at least supports itself. And then, you know, kind of see from there if there's kind of other things that I want to grow into. Hey boss, does client no-shows have you down? I don't know about you, but it gripes my ass to have to deal with a client with poor calendar management skills, forgetting to schedule their meetings with me, and then standing me up when it's time to meet up. No show equals no bueno. Take no shit with acuity scheduling. Once in my business, I had more no shows than I knew what to do with and was threatening to throw in the towel with client work. But then I got Acuity Scheduling and the ease of scheduling coupled with those autoresponders that go out as friendly reminders that they get to hear my sweet voice that day has my clients showing up like bosses. Acuity has helped me hold my clients accountable so that we both make our meetings and everyone goes home happy. Schedule clients without sacrificing your soul. Sign up for a free 60-day trial of scheduling sanity at acuityscheduling.com slash beingboss. Now, let's get back at it. So I have a question then about like where you see this going because from in like just to get in not really like business model stuff but let's talk about like impact and where you want this to go and um, and what you sort of you need to do to get there. Where do you see this this hobby as is you're calling it or or this direction and sharing content? Where do you see it taking you or do you have any goals for it? 
Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that I'm in the process right now of answering that question. So it's not like I can say, well, first this and in five years this, you know, like that's, that's not really the way that my brain works. Um, really all I have is kind of that overarching vision of, you know, bringing together people that really find value in these types of conversations that are in a lot of ways like seemingly meaningless. So like using my podcast as an example, it's not a topic specific show, right? Like it's not something where they're going to learn, you know, these five things about nutrition. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's like great podcasts that I listen to that are all about kind of like health and fitness and nutrition and that type of stuff. But because they're they're long, you know, the episodes are like two hours each and they're so wide ranging and it's really just let's talk about stuff. And, you know, whether that's fears or regrets or how someone started their business or, you know, how they went on this five month hike or it's really just like real conversations. And so what I'm interested in is kind of bringing together people that believe that there's value in that, even if it's not always easy to see on the surface what the value is, because it's really hard to place like a price tag on those like me too moments, like I said before. But there have been times where I've either listened to a podcast or, you know, read an article or a blog post that someone wrote or a book. And I mean, you know that feeling when you read something and you're like, I want to send this to every single person that I know, right? Like there's Mm. so much truth in this. It makes me feel less alone. I feel not crazy. And like that feeling that I have gotten as a consumer of other people's art and other people's stuff like I want to participate in that and I think that it's hard sometimes because how do you put a tangible value amount on that type of thing like how much do you charge to feel less alone right like that there it's like an interesting <laughs> question um so if I kind of project forward into my vision I would actually love to take this to expand it into offline. I have this dream of doing a Real Talk Radio road trip that goes through, you know, a bunch of different cities where there are live events where it is just kind of like a Real Talk powwow. You know, like maybe I'll share some stories or do some kind of good questions, like icebreakery community type things. But to just basically, you know, let's say it were to go to Seattle and, you know, bring together a small group of people that they all live there. And the fact that they're coming to this event means that they probably share these values. We can spend like two or three awesome hours together, kind of part meetup, part workshop type of situation. And then when I leave, they've all made these connections of people who live in their same city that share at least like this similar desire for kind of honesty and like living our messy lives out loud. Because I think that there's a lot of that going on online, which is great. But there's really no substitute for in-person connection. And I have had such a, so many rich relationships that have started online that, you know, then when they move offline, pretty much all of my best friends I at some point met from the internet. And so I see there being like a potential future for that if I'm looking at the vision, which I don't know, that's not like a business model answer necessarily, but I want to make this more than me speaking to people kind of like a one-to-many type of thing. I really want this to be a community where the other people who are kind of believers in this real talk revolution, let's say, can speak to and interact with each other, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Emily and I actually accidentally created a community like that offline whenever we started our being boss vacations so we were like hey let's go to new orleans together and have a vacation and hey how about we invite some of our listeners and 75 other bosses showed up and we just wrapped up our vacation and that was new orleans last october and then we just wrapped up our vacation in miami last week actually and 
more and more I'm realizing that connections and relationships are everything. It is the meaning of life and forgetting about business model. And I mean, of course, that stuff is so important because we have to pay our bills and this is the world that we live in. But if you strip all of that stuff away, whenever it comes down to it, the energy that you get from conversations and from friendships and just like you said, those moments where you know that you're not alone, it's everything. It's truly magic. I love it so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I something that I used to tell clients all the time and that I tell myself is, you know, this idea, this kind of sounds negative, but isn't like you're not that special. And it's like the best relief ever to be like, oh, you're not the only one who, you know, is worried about whether or not people will be disappointed or that wants to be liked. And, you know, that want like all all of these things, all of our fears, like it's so cute that we think we're the only ones, you know, I'm the only one who's ever felt imposter syndrome, you know, in my work. No, that's literally how everyone feels. So like just starting to open up the dialogue of, this kind of stuff, I feel like, and it, of course it can happen online, but exactly like you said, like sharing space with someone in person. I don't know, like there's something really, really special about that. I I started this event, this is kind of going back into my quote old life, but I started an event in 2009 called Bloggers in Sin City, which was a meetup in Vegas that ran for five years that was aimed at personal bloggers, because a lot of kind of when I started blogging, the events and the conferences and stuff that I saw were topic specific. You know, there was stuff for food bloggers and there was stuff for people who, you know, were making a business out of it, but there wasn't an event for people who were really just using the internet for fun and as an expression of them in order to get them together. And it was this incredible event that brought people from all over the country, you know, kind of all over the world to Vegas for a long weekend every year to just basically form friendships. Um, so like I have that kind of in my history between that and running camp. Like I, I I love kind of being the person who creates and holds space in which other people can have a really wonderful experience. That it's not really about me, but I like facilitating that type of experience for other people. And I see there being kind of down the line a way to do that with this new, you know, not let's all go to Vegas and get super drunk, which was my old life, you know, that, but there is something there about like, I like that idea of kind of creating the safe, fun, welcoming space for people to come and just be who they are and to sit together and be like, awesome. None of us have any wisdom. Like no one's in charge here. There's no magic answers and no one has their shit together. And that's awesome. You know, so, you know, I love the online world and I'm never going to bash I mean, at least I shouldn't say never, but I I don't want to bash social media. I don't believe that it's um, evil or that people are just sharing the highlight reels because at least the people I'm surrounding myself with in social media are all very real and sharing all the complexities of who they are as a human being. But I wonder with with the internet and where it's going and with the upswing of it, if there is going to be kind of a backlash where there is this um, where we do start to crave in-person interactions more and more. Um, I see so much stuff going, and maybe this is just the world that I've surrounded myself in, things going from brick and mortar to online business. But I wonder if there's going to be like kind of a backswing into real life things that you can touch and hold and see and smell and use all your senses with. What do you guys think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, yes. I, I definitely agree with you. I feel like I feel like that's already happening because, you know, and I, I agree with you. I'm not one to kind of bash the internet and social media. Like I said, everyone who's important to me, basically, except for like maybe one or two people, I met through the internet. So like I'm very grateful for everything that it has given me. But I think it's just everything is a piece of the puzzle that if my entire if all of my relationships and all of my business and all of everything is happening online, I'm super lonely. And believe me, I've been there. Like I've been in that place. And on the other side, if my entire world is limited to the six people that live within easy driving distance, that also isn't necessarily quite as fulfilling as I want. Because the great thing about the internet is that you're able to form relationships and be exposed to ideas that maybe aren't held by the six people that live around you, right? So there's definitely a benefit to not having those geographic boundaries. But I think we need both. Like I, That's why I like the internet as like a paving the way for then those people to come together offline. And it can, of course, work the other way as well. But, you know, I think I know I, I, I it's it's even in terms of business model, like, you know, when you were asking that before, part of my question, too, was do I want to continue to create like e-courses or that type of stuff? Because, again, like just like social media, I think there's nothing inherently good or bad about any of these things. They're all neutral. It's all like our relationship to them. But I started to feel even as a consumer that like that market was so super saturated. And I noticed myself like falling into the pattern of, you know, I had I had this folder on my desktop where I had downloaded, you know, the 50 or 60 ebooks or courses or things that I've purchased or someone's free bonus that like I'm going to get to quote sometime. No, I'm not. All it does is sit on my desktop and like make me feel guilty for the fact that I'm not doing it. And so part of the questioning process for me of the world that I want to live in, do I want to contribute to that? I don't know. But like the, these types of questions, there is something to me that's if I as a consumer am really craving like powerful in-person connections, slowing down, not everything being a Available at such a fast pace. I don't know. Maybe that's what, you know, so I think that it's kind of a question everyone has to answer for themselves. Like, what are you drawn to, like, as a consumer? And then to kind of create from that space. Yeah, I agree with all of those things. I was actually talking to some ladies in Miami this past week about this exact same thing, this idea that, you know, we're all building, especially like these online businesses where, you know, we live online, we work online, we're sharing on Instagram, we're hanging out on Pinterest, we're doing all of these things connected to tech. And I mean, most or some of us have been in this like five, 10 years for some of us at this point. And I've seen this pattern of people getting pretty tired of being connected to the internet. I also see plenty of people who have no desire to put their phone down at all. So I don't know if it's, I doubt it's going to be like this wide sweeping movement of everyone like letting go of tech. But, but I do think that there are some of us who, um, who are missing having some of those offline connections. Uh, I mean, the vacations that we do are just like prime example of that. But it's also something that I'm feeling in terms of even how I work. Um, and like whenever I am working, I am on my computer. And whenever I'm not working, I walk away. Like I couldn't tell you the last time that I just hung out on my computer and browsed the internet. I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> um, and I know, or, do you guys read blogs anymore? I'm curious. Nope. <laughs> Me either. I, I do. There's, I mean, well, there's a couple that I super, super love and I get them in my inbox. So see, and that's what, so I am reading stuff that's coming to my inbox, but I don't have mm-hmm. an RSS feed anymore. I still blame like once Google got rid of its yeah. RSS feed, I was done. Yeah, that was the same thing for me. So yeah, no, I don't read them that way, but that there, you know, are a small handful of people whose blog posts I do get to my email, which essentially is like no different than subscribing to someone's email, depending upon how they use their email list. I mean, that's the argument that could be made for me. Like while I'm not blogging anymore, I mean, I still send 
uh, the the series is called Notes of Grit and Grace. And so I, every Friday, I basically send what could essentially be considered a blog post, but it's more just like a letter that I'm writing to kind of my people of what's on my mind that week in terms of kind of living with grit and grace, which is my overall kind of like life theme and intention. So I mean, newsletters, blog posts, like it's it's all right. They're just like slightly different versions of I think a lot of times the same thing. So that I, you know, I was wanting to talk about your newsletter and I love that you share the good stuff and the bad stuff as you're in it. I know that whenever I um, first started subscribing to your newsletter, it may have been like your very first email that goes out, but it's one of the things that you stated in it is that you are sharing what you're going through as you're going through it. And I thought that that was so cool and honestly brave. One of my policies for what I share, and I am very much an open book, but I like to process things first before I share it, especially the harder stuff that I'm going through. I just want to make sure that the stuff that I'm sharing, that if someone were to respond negatively, for example, to something that I haven't fully processed, that it wouldn't break me, mm-hmm. right? So I'm curious for you because you are sharing the grit and grace as you're going through it. I'm curious if you have any sort of boundaries around what you will and will not share. Yeah, I mean, this I love this topic. It's such a great... And, you know, to your point, I think that... Yeah, there's a time and a place to share some things and not others. And it's a very, very personal decision. Like sometimes when I have these conversations with people, I almost feel like they're looking for, you know, what are the golden rules of how much to share or not share? And I don't think that that exists. I think that Mm -mm. certain people are more comfortable with different levels of sharing than others. And I also think, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about before, it's a lot easier for me to do that because this really isn't a business. You know, so it's not like like I can share something that's like really hard, but I'm not then turning around and like trying to get someone to buy something. So and again, of course, you can be real while also selling. And I know some people who do that in a way to me that feels like very organic and wonderful. But so I think that it's a very individual question. Also, the question of why am I sharing this? So for me, I find, especially with writing, that the only way that I really understand myself is through writing about something. Like that's the only way that I know how I really feel. It's the way that I can get to the heart of what's true. And it's hopefully the way that I can get to the heart of what's true without judgment, which is always my goal is just let's just identify what's true and not make it bad or good or whatever. And so, you know, the process of doing that. I, for whatever reason, I feel like my life purpose, if we're going to use kind of a cliche phrase, is to heal myself out loud. And I don't know, for whatever reason, that works for me. And you can't do that if you don't do that, right? So like that, it doesn't work for me to not write about something for three years. That doesn't really fit that mission for me. Um, In terms of drawing boundaries, in the early days when I started my blog, really my only boundary was that I wasn't going to write about people that I was dating. And that was more because I didn't want someone to be hesitant to date me for fear of winding up on the internet. And I was also very aware of the fact that I had made this decision to share stories and live my life out loud. But that's my choice. And I it's not my place to make that choice for somebody else. So any boundaries that I still even do have are related to that. I mean, it's a little bit different now, you know, being married, having a constant partner. But if there's ever a time where I'm writing more than just kind of a passing thing, let's say about my husband, he has read it first, you know, beforehand, Mm. because that's important to me. You know, I don't want someone, you know, a best friend, a husband, something like that to be like, wait, what, what did you say about me on the internet? Right. (laughs) Um, Other than that, though, I've really never had strict boundaries. And, you know, this idea of to heal myself out loud, that requires, sharing that's often uncomfortable and 
you know, it's for me, it just tends to be more of a gut feeling. And even sending out, you know, one piece of writing a week, yes, I'm whatever I'm writing about is real and true. Sometimes it's hard, but you can't share all of who you are. I mean, I could essentially be like live blogging all day long, all the time, and it still wouldn't encapsulate, you know, all of who I am. So of course there's stuff that happens that doesn't get shared. Um, And the choice for me, there's a couple of guiding questions, you know, for when I sit down. That's the other thing is I don't write my like weekly notes in advance. Like it is a Friday morning, open up, what do I want to share today um, type of thing. So there's no editorial calendar. There's no, because like I need there to be like current moment heat behind it. Like this is on my mind. This is on my heart. And it's sometimes what do I feel needs to be said? And oftentimes the question is, what do I not want to share but I probably should, right? So like that, that, and that's, those are probably gonna be the opposite questions for other people. Um, So for me, and the only other boundaries, I don't know if boundaries is the right word, but is looking at the intention behind sharing it. You know, am I sharing this because like I want people to think that I'm awesome, right? Like a very ego way. Okay, that's probably not a good thing for me to share. Like what's my intention? Like if my intention is just, here's what's true for me right now. If you feel the same, you're not alone. Like that for me is like, okay, yes, stamp of approval that can go out into the world. But, you know, so I, even with social media, like I try to be, all right, Nicole, like who are you trying to be with this? Like if it's just an honest expression of this is this cake that I just baked and it's delicious and I'm shoving it in my face, awesome, post. If it's, I want people to think that my life is, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't get posted. So it's more like a self-check for my own ego than it is what am I comfortable or not comfortable sharing online. And I love the idea of just using truth as a guidepost, you know, for what to publish and what not to publish. Well, especially because that's my, if we're going to say an agenda, like this, the things that I'm writing don't need to support the sale of anything. And it's not that that couldn't happen, but that's takes off a lot of the pressure of this decision-making process because I don't have to think, is someone going to want to hire me to be their coach based on what I shared here? And since that's not in the equation, like really the agenda is, is this really true? And kind of does this need to be shared and does this need to be shared by me? Yes? Okay. Publish. (laughs) I'm definitely a share out loud, live out loud kind of person. And even writing about my husband, I feel like I could without his review first. But what really threw me for a loop in the past couple of years was having a kid. And that's where I don't even know what my boundaries around that are yet. And I'm still kind of working through it. But I love the idea of writing as a way to process. But I want to bring up something that you were talking about earlier as writing as a way to like organically figure out what it is that you want to do. Um, I think that whenever we're naturally sharing the stuff that we're curious about, we almost accidentally end up positioning ourselves as experts in that thing. So it's like you weren't an expert in running, but a little bit later you were having, you had a course in running, right? So this is just me wanting to share with our listeners to start writing about the things that you're interested in and that you're curious about, that you don't have to be an expert first to start writing and sharing. Absolutely. I mean, I love that. The other thing too, for me, and I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, I tend to be like in a very... And it, I don't think it's a bad thing, but a very obsessive person. Like my brain is a light switch. I either like am so obsessed with something, whether this is like a business idea or a TV show or whatever, I'm so obsessed or I don't care at all. Like there's really no middle ground. And the thing that I found challenging with my business, because it was such like a personal lifestyle brand that it's, you know, so great. It was so great for me to kind of teach and host this program about running when I was super, super obsessed with running. 
but I'm not really anymore. And so for me, I could never really figure out how to have kind of the sustainability and the longevity of a business when I only want to kind of create things that I'm currently interested in, if that makes sense. So and I started to feel with my business that I was getting locked into a, like a public persona or an identity. Like Nicole's the one who's sober and runs and is vegan or whatever. And I felt for better or worse, whether this is true or whether I just projected this onto myself, like I felt like I couldn't change. Like I felt like I was really boxed in. And um, last year... I went through a period of time where I really, I don't know if fell out of love with running is the right word, but I definitely had some changes happen in my relationship with running. And I stopped running for six months. And during that period of time, it was challenging to continue to run that program, right? So it's, for me, that's another piece of this puzzle too, is that it's not like I sat down to start a business that was separate from myself. It it was always so much a personal brand and I was so tied into it that I could never really find the right balance between like my personal life. Like I didn't want it. I don't want my source of income to be tied to my like personal hobbies, if that makes sense. Like I, I started to feel like I couldn't stop running and still make money. And that felt really icky to me. So like whatever happens kind of with the podcast or who knows if I'm going to start another business or do something else, I want kind of the the monetization stream to be enough at arm's length from who I am as a person that if at any day I decided to make essentially a big life change, you know, kind of like what I did before, that it wouldn't affect my business. That's so interesting. Um. And I have, I mean, I think that any of us who have had a personal brand have experienced this. I always talk about how recently I cut off all my hair and I was almost worried that it would make me unhirable. Yeah. <laughs> like, because I've been known as this girl with the long blonde dreadlocks and now I have, you know, very, very short hair because I had to cut them all off. I mean, I didn't have to, I chose to. And I think I was in that same, I mean, I know it's hair, so that sounds a little more superficial than maybe getting sober or running. But for me, it felt huge. But at the same time, I really love blending who I am with what I do and finding ways to monetize the stuff that I love. But it does start to get to the point where it can kind of pigeonhole you. But okay, so here's something I want to ask you about. And Emily and I were talking about this just this morning, how there are these kinds of lulls that happen in business, but probably also in blogging. And I come from a background of personal blogging also, where once it became a business, I found that I was hustling so hard in business that writing about business is the only thing I had anymore. And so this is why this four week hike of yours really piques my interest. I also love hiking. I feel like part of what really launched my whole career working for myself as a hike up to Mount Everest Base Camp. And I feel like there are these things where you have to almost take the risk or the challenge or the leap to go live life so that you can then write about it. Um, not not in a way that's like, oh, I need to go do this thing just so I have content to write about, but <laughs> that there are these kinds of waves that we have to write out of hustling, um, and then of living. So I would love to hear more about that. Like, do you ever feel like you're living the work so much that you don't have anything to write about anymore other than the work itself? Is this part of like maybe why you're taking this four week hike? Tell me more about that. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's such a great point. And uh, to your point about 
lulls. I also think, and this, what I'm about to say, like, this is the truth that I don't want to be true. But the truth is that there are seasons for everything, right? And like, this is kind of what I mean when I say that we're not robots. And yet we have these like productivity expectations of ourselves. You know, we should be able to put out the same amount every day. And I think about this with, you know, with fitness or running too. Like you should be able to perform at a high level every day. I had these crazy expectations for myself. And it took really understanding that there are seasons for things in order to create wonderful work in whatever kind of medium or genre you can't be creating all the time or I think most people can't be creating all the time it's the same thing with like farming right like the land has to lie fallow or whatever you know like it's there are periods of time for kind of like letting ideas percolate there's phases of time for research there's phases of time for doing that like really hardcore business hustle and like think all of these things play into something that is more sustainable and I don't want that to be true like I want it to be true that I can just push myself to max level all the time and like I'm going to be totally fine (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah so I mean that the hike thing I don't know I see it as pretty separate from anything that I'm doing kind of business wise it's not like I'm I'm going on this trip so as to figure out what's next I think that will maybe be an inevitable consequence I don't think that you can do something completely new and I'm completely new to the world of you know backpacking this kind of stuff I don't think I could do this and not be changed by it somehow so who knows like maybe we can talk again after that and we'll see what what came out of it for me but yeah I do think that if you are creating art however you want to define that you know if we're going to use writing as an example you have to be kind of filling up your inspiration tank somehow. And so one of the reasons, one of the things that I'm actually most excited about about this trip is keeping a daily trail journal, like essentially going back to like a blogging format. I don't know how I'm going to do that, if it'll just be a section of my existing site, but I'm super excited about that to write about it. So that's not why I'm doing it. But yeah, I agree with you that sometimes we can get so stuck in like the day-to-day tactical parts of our business or whatever it is that we're creating that we don't leave room for these other things that again are more intangible but that can be really impactful and I think again a lot of this this conversation I think is based in a lot of privilege right like this this specific thing being like the fact that I can take four weeks out of my life like that's that's incredible, right? Like that's not something growing up that like my parents would have been able to do or anything like that. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of like a grain of salt with this. Like I could see someone listening and rolling their eyes and saying, well, that's great. But, you know, I have three kids. Like My husband and I don't have kids. We're choosing not to have kids, right? Like we've made some pretty intentional lifestyle choices that allow for more freedom, more disposable income, like that type of stuff. So I think it's, it doesn't have to be a four week backpacking trip or nothing, but I do think that there are ways even on a much smaller scale to like leave some more space for spontaneity and like pushing yourself and just like putting yourself in situations that are unfamiliar because that's how you learn and grow. Like we, the other truth that I don't want to be true is we don't learn when we're comfortable. Like we learn through discomfort (laughs) and like discomfort sucks. So obviously I don't want that to be true, but it is like all the growth that I've gone through has at one point been very uncomfortable. Totally. Um, And, and, you know, I don't know the whole like feeling bad about being privileged. I've had to process through a lot of that, like literally go to therapy because once I had a baby, I was struggling with things like depression and like, I have it so good. Why am I sad kind of stuff? And so I don't know. I 
I see where you're coming from there, but I just don't want it to be too much of a concern because this is your experience and it is your choices that have gotten you there. And of course, there's like a certain amount of privilege, but um, yeah, no, I mean, just one more thing on that. I, I certainly don't mean to sound like, oh, I feel bad or I feel guilty. And I've had to work through that as well. Really, right? like We all have our <laughs> own things. It's more that I think it's an important part of the conversation because one of the things that I'm the most turned off by if we're talking about online business or, you know, people who are, you know, really popular on Instagram or whatever, when I look at someone's, let's say, lifestyle, that's maybe it's someone who's like traveling all the time. And I'm like, okay, but how do you make that happen? Like even the very gotcha. practical question that you asked about, okay, well, where's the money coming from? Like, I think that I much, I would love for any of those people. They don't owe me anything, of course. Like, it's their choice what they reveal. But I love knowing how people make things happen. Like, when I took a sabbatical last year, it was really important to me to be able to say, you know, it's not like I, my business was so unbelievably successful that I like have this million dollars saved. It was, here's the reality of how I'm making this happen. The same thing, you know, however many years ago in a, in a previous relationship, um, you know, I was making more money than my partner at the time. He had gone back to school, you know, and so I was paying for more than he was. And it's it's like, there's no right or wrong, but I think for me with like my pursuit of honesty, like I think it's just important to acknowledge that, especially like I, I see this a lot in kind of, you know, being vegan and in that space as well. It's like, well, just like buy all 100% like local organic food. Like, okay, that's like great to aspire to, but not everyone can do that. So I just think like injecting a little bit of, perspective and I certainly don't mean to sound like I feel guilty or you know negative but I just think it's part of the conversation it's I don't want anyone to use it as an excuse because I think I do that as well like oh well this person has this thing that I don't have so excuse 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 but you know that kind of thing right and and the one thing that I kind of want to say just to wrap this up is not only spending time with like bogged down in the tactical stuff of your business, but even just kind of the obsessing over it and getting out. And Emily and I talk about this all the time with travel and getting in nature and just spending time to clear your mind and to not obsess so much on the hustle, but to think about, you know, hustling out life too. It's even on a recent episode, Emily, after we wrapped up, Emily was like, if you need to spend some time getting your life hustle on, like let's, let's take a month off of the podcast. And so just making that point, I think that you are doing like what I'm really seeing rise to the top here out of our conversation is that there is this work life blend and that maybe you're starting to experiment with somewhat of a separation. Um, and I just think it's really interesting. And thank you so much for just coming on the show and sharing your story. Can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you, where they can sign up for your newsletter, where they can listen to your podcast? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you. These are all my favorite topics to talk about. I feel like I could talk to you guys for like six hours, right? So, I know. So this was, I know. This was great. like, we got to wrap it up. Wrap um, it up. <laughs> but yeah, NicoleAntoinette.com is really where everything lives. Um, the Real Talk Radio, a season comes out every other month. So the next season will be coming out June 1st. And yeah, I mean, everything that they want, they can find there. I have um, the small, I guess if we're going to talk about monetization or whatever, I have a small section of my site called The $4 Shop, where it's basically a collection of... Of tiny books of stories or workbooks. Basically, it's like my personal toolbox. Here's everything that's been like life-changing and helpful for me. And I don't think that those resources should be bank-breaking for people. So everything in the shop is $4. And I have a new, a new little tiny book that I will be adding probably in the next month called Everything I Know About Change, Real Talk, Raw Truths, and Blunt Encouragement to help you close the gap between what you say you want and what you actually do. So that's what I'm working on right now is just kind of digging more into sharing these lessons of change. 
Nice. I love that. I will definitely be checking that out. And we will link to everything on your site at beingboss.club in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been so great talking to you, Nicole. Thank you guys too. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Please be sure to visit our website at beingboss.club where you can find show notes for this episode, listen to past episodes, and discover more of our content that will help you be boss in work and life. Did you like this episode? Please share it with a friend and show us some love by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. And if you're looking for a community of bosses to help take your creative business to the next level, be sure to check out our exclusive community at beingboss.club clubhouse where you get access to our closed and very vibrant Slack group, monthly Q&A calls with Kathleen and myself, a book club, and more. Cultivate your tribe and find your wolf pack at beingboss.club slash clubhouse. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.